Made it. We're here. You guys, can we give a hand for everybody who made this possible and worked so hard? Man, it's, it's just been so amazing to see how God is, has just transformed life after life at Whitewater, starting in a home, moving through some other buildings, and now we're here. And I'm just so grateful for each and every one of you. Uh, from my wife uh, and my heart, uh, we just, we love you. And we love this church. Um, I just got back from Africa yesterday, and so um, I might fall asleep in my own sermon. Um, so I might join a few of you guys. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, before we get started with the sermon, though, um, we want to do something real special. And um, I wanted to invite a friend who has really, really made this all possible with the new, uh, with this being our new building, our new space to meet in. Um, so I'd like to invite Krista Linden, the leader of Step by Step. Can we give her a hand? Thank you for coming up. Um, you guys, uh, just, you might, might not know this, but we have put, you know, days and days of work to get this place set up. But Krista and her team and her family have really been working on this dream for 22 years. And that, I mean, there's been faith and tenacity and perseverance um, and, and holding on to a dream that's, that God has put in her heart. And so I, I just want to, from from our church and our leadership and every person here, we want to thank you and show gratitude toward you and your vision and making this all possible. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Can we give her a hand again? Krista oh, just wanted to be able to share from her heart, especially on, a, on an amazing day like this, where we could, this is like one of the first signs of partnership here at Farm 12 and with Step by Step. And so um, she's just going to share her heart with our church. Well, I just wanted to welcome you. This has um, been a long road for Step by Step and for me and for my family. Um, and I just want you to know how... Um, wonderful it is to see you here and to have you part of this whole place for a while. I can see you're not going to stay here for very long because you're already filling this space. But um, I um, have, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a journey. And I just want to welcome you. I grew up in um, a Baptist General Conference church, which is now called Converge. And I went to um, a university in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, called Bethel University, where I met my husband. And it is also a Converge, uh, part of the Converge uh, Conference. And I married a pastor's kid uh, who, has been, who was the pastor of a Converge church for 32 years. So I um, am not really sure how. I shouldn't question God brought our paths together. Um, Step by Step is not a faith-based organization, and um, I don't get the opportunity to say this very often, but to God be the glory for everything that has happened here and, and the journey that we've been on. So it, is, it warms my heart immensely to see you here and to worship with you today. Um, and uh, I look forward to sharing a little bit more with you on November 10th about the story behind Step by Step, the heart behind Step by Step. You will also hear this place called Farm 12. 
We'll be opening a restaurant in the back called Farm 12. This is a Farm 12 event hall, and I will tell you the story of why it's called Farm 12 later. You will also hear it called the Germain Quorum Center, as um, the Quorum family were major donors to help us get this property um, at the very beginning. So if you hear those three words or titles kind of work together, um, I will explain more about all of that and how it's all come to pass um, on November 10th. But welcome and thank you for being here. David, can I pray for you? Thank you so much. Can we pray for you? Um, as a church, could we just um, stand and pray for Krista, her family, and her team? Um, she leads a whole staff. She leads a volunteer staff. She's got an incredible family. Uh, she has an incredible husband. Who is, he was helping us uh, get everything set up this week. Um, and uh, they're an unbelievable family, and, and they're unbelievable leaders. And so let's pray for God's blessing on this, on this work going on. Father, we just praise you and thank you for a leader like uh, Krista, for leaders um, uh, through her family, with her husband, and, and all the way down the line with their, with their whole staff. God, thank you that you put this dream and this call in her life, and she had the faith to answer it and trust it and follow you. God, we pray for great favor um, to follow and go ahead of them as they're continuing to, to finish the building um, project, as they're building a staff for uh, the kitchen and for the Farm 12 restaurant. Um, Lord, as, and as you're opening up new partnerships and new um, expressions of the work that they do here, being allies and, and ambassadors, Lord, and advocates for, for families and moms who are struggling and kids who uh, you love so much and just need a little help, Lord, I just pray that you amplify and bless the vision here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Crystal. Let's give her a hand, you guys. You can grab a seat. Guys, God is moving in our church. As the pastor, I can sometimes have a bird's eye view of what's going on, and there's always a mingling of brokenness and blessing in any faith community, and in fact, in every individual. Um, but it's really easy to focus on the problems at the expense of God's uh, hand at work. And let me just tell you, there are people in our congregation who are um, experience, experiencing heavy brokenness, but God is, is working through it. There are people who who are, are, are finding faith in our church. People who are very young. We got kids who have recently given their lives to Christ. Um, we have people in their 60s who have recently uh, committed their life to Christ. Like lo the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is transforming people. We have people who are stepping out into their callings for the very first time, trusting God, not just with their private life, but with their public life. We're having baptisms. We, ha we have an amazing thing happening in our church, and I just hope you see it and you know it. Um, and so we want to we thank God for all this, and, and it really goes to him, all the glory, all the praise. He's making all this happen, and we're so thrilled to be part of it. Um, I want to jump into the sermon, um, so if you guys wouldn't mind me doing that. Um, this sermon gets at the heart for me of what it means to be called in the way of Jesus. And the, and the question I want to ask today is, what do you do when it looks like you don't have the capacity to complete your calling? Have you ever had a moment at work or in your family 
or maybe in your personal life where you feel like, man, I do not, it doesn't look like I have the capacity to complete my calling. Um, this last summer, my, my wife called me actually and said, hey, me and some friends, we wanted to get together on this, on, this, on this Friday through Saturday, and I need to call you to take care of our kids while I'm away. I was like, oh, absolutely, I love your friends, I love that you're going to get away, that'll be great. And she's like, but I'm calling you to make sure that our kids, our wolves, our kids will be alive and survive long enough with you so that when I return, they, I can hold my babies in my arms. I said, I'll take care of it. So what we did was uh, she, she made a list for me, gave me all the stuff I needed to make sure that the kids were safe from all Friday through all Saturday. Um, and... Uh, she said, here's the list. She said, here's the stuff. Here's the food. Um, and the evening's free. I ended up hanging out with some friends and their kids. Um, and it was a blast. And, and when Sarah left, and I started going through the list. And all of Friday, we nailed it. I took care of everything. We got the food. We met with our friends. We watched a video. All the kids were playing and crazy and acting totally like wild wolves. It was awesome. Uh, my kids, we call them the bed lions. And bed lions hunt in a pack. And they hunted in a pack that day. Saturday came and Wes woke up and woke me up and he, my, my son's two, my daughter's six and he's like, dada, dada and he can, he's talking pretty clear now he's like, diaper and I was like, oh no and uh, in our family when, when people get sick we, we ask usually uh, two questions uh, is it attic issues, is it attic sickness or is it basement sickness do you guys get what I'm saying? Wes had something wrong with the basement and uh, I walked in, he's like, diaper, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I get him set on the changing table, I'm starting to, you know, get the diaper off, get things right, and I look, where are the wipes? Where are the diapers? Novella, and she comes running in, you know, and I'm looking at the time, and, and on the list is soccer, we've got to get her to her soccer game. I'm like, go get ready for soccer, and where are the diapers? Dad, I don't know where the diapers are. I'm like looking frantically, throwing things around, and he's like, Dad, a diaper. I'm looking for the wipes, where are the wipes? Novella's like, I don't know. Dad, where, where are my, where's my shin guards and my shoes? I'm like, where your mom told you they were? You know, like all of a sudden the plan was beginning to unravel, and I was looking at the clock, and we've got to get out there, and go get in your room, and go find them. And she's like, fine, Dad. And she runs, up, runs down the hall, and I'm looking, I'm looking, Novella, where are the diapers? I don't know. And I'm like, ah. I ran down um, the hall, and I was like, I need your help again. She's like, no, Dad. And I had set Wes on, this, on the kind of this like soft side area, and um, I, we had no, no wipes. And uh, I finally, I, I got my pocket, and I called my wife, and I'm like, Sarah, where are the wipes? Where are the diapers? And she, and like, as she's explaining, I'm, Novella's running, and she's like, where's my shin guards? I'm like, just a second, Novella. I'm like, where is the stuff? And, and, she, and before my wife answers on the phone, N Novella goes, Dad, it's right there in front of you. And there were the wipes, like on the, on the like, counter below the one I was looking at, like right in front of me. I, I, had, I had like man blindness, like father blindness. Any of you guys have father man blindness? Wives, do any of your husbands have man blindness? They can't see. 
key. I was like, oh, it's right there. Where's the diapers in? And before my wife could answer, Novella's like, it's right next to you. It's right next to your foot. It's like a brand new box of them. I was like, I couldn't see anything. And I was like, why did you leave me, Sarah? <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, where's, where's the chin guards? Where's the cleats? And, uh, and my wife goes, it's right where I told Novella. And I said, Novella, she told you where they were. You know, and she said, it's in the third drawer underneath this thing and underneath the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, underneath all of that? Okay, Novella, third drawer, underneath this, underneath that. Novella runs off. Thank you. Put it in my pocket. And I, wa- I walk in and, you know, I'm, I, I've got the wipes. And, and I said, Novella, why didn't you help me with the wipes? She's like, why didn't you help me with my shin guards? <laughs> we eventually got there and all was well. But have you ever felt that way, that you do not have the capacity to complete your calling? I want us to look at a passage in Matthew 14 where the disciples are in a moment where they don't feel they have the the capacity to complete their calling. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Again, it's John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter uh, 14, starting in verse 15. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow up uh, along on the screen behind me. And here is the story of Jesus that I think can really help us with our capacity issues. In verse 15, it says, that evening the disciples came to him, came to Jesus, and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. Jesus has been ministering, teaching, preaching, healing, transforming lives. And, and his disciples are seeing it's been a long day of ministry and, and, they, and they look out and it's getting dark and people are getting hungry and they're like, Jesus, we need to send people to the villages to buy food. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? Um, how many of you guys have done ministry before, ministered to people? How many of you guys know you get hungry, you get tired, and ministry is messy. Working with people is messy. Jesus says something that you wouldn't expect. You're like, send them to the village, a very reasonable plan. And then Jesus said, that isn't necessary. What is necessary is that you feed them. Don't send them away to get food, you feed them. He looks at his leaders, at his disciples, the ones who have been chosen to help lead the people of God, and he says, you feed them. And, um, and they're kind of like looking at each other like, Jesus, we love your heart. We love your vision. We love your son of Godness. We love your Messiahness. But look at the crowds. Later you'll find out in the story there were, there were 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So there are thousands of people. They're like, Jesus, we love you. And they kind of, you know, that patronizing, like, you're such a good leader and you're so great. But the details, you don't understand. We have thousands of them and very little of us. And then they, they, they bring the reality of the situation. Here's what our true capacity is. Jesus, we love how you love people, but we, we have only these five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. We've only got these things. And, and Jesus, Jesus responds to them in a really interesting way. He says in verse 18, well, bring them here. Bring what we do have. Bring it here. And then he told people to sit down on the grass. Like he's not phased by them. They're trying to help him see the reality of the situation. Jesus, we want you not to just look with heavenly eyes, but like reality's lives, with reality's eyes. Look at the people. Look at the great need. Look how we don't have enough. Look at the loaves of bread and the fish that we have here and look at all of them. 
And in that moment, I think there's a powerful thing for us to, to learn here. Um, they, they, they learn this. One is their, their lack of capacity makes them forget what and who they have. Their, their, the lack of capacity in the face of all the need and all the people and the great ministry that needs to be done, it, it makes them forget what they have and who they have. It makes them forget that they have Christ Jesus with them. That's who's with them. But they forget that in the face of the lack of capacity. Um, they, they focus on that instead of Jesus being with them. And Jesus just says, okay, what do we have? They're focused on what they don't have and not enough. And, and, and you, you can see them looking at each other and just being like, and you know, a few of the disciples saying, and you know, Lord, I know that you're leaders, you've picked us, but have you seen like John? Like what does he even do? Have you, have you seen Judas? Like you picked him to, to count the money. I don't even know if he knows how. Like, and Matthew, he was a tax collector. Like, the people hate, like, look at the team you have. If you had more people like me on the team, maybe we could answer the problem here. Maybe we'd have the capacity. But we have a capacity issue all, at all levels. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough people resources, leadership resources. Sorry, Jesus. And that's what they're focused on. But Jesus says, bring even the, even the lack of what we have. Bring what we have here. And then he told everybody to sit on the grass and then listen to this, underline this in your Bibles. Jesus took the five loaves, they put it into his hands. He took the five loaves and the two fish and then he looked up toward heaven and blessed the bread. And then breaking the loaves of bread into pieces, he gave the bread into the disciples' hands who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. And I want you to know this is, this is an important, like this is, a, this is an essential knowledge for you who would follow in the way of Jesus. If you are called to follow Jesus, if you're called to worship God, and you're called to love people and serve people the pattern of Jesus the transformation of Jesus the call to Jesus looks like this and that we are blessed we are broken and we are given to the world this is the pattern of Jesus is it not the, this, the symbol the embodiment of this reality of, of being blessed broken and then given is the way of Jesus Look at the life of Jesus. He was blessed by God. He was broken uh, on the cross for people and then he was given to the world. He was blessed. God said, this is my son when he was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He gives me joy. I have blessed him. I have sent him. And then he was broken on the cross um, by the sinners for their own sin so that he could be raised to new life and given to the world. Amen? This is the Jesus pattern. Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected, he was blessed, he was broken, and he was given to the world. And any one of us who would follow in the way of Jesus has to realize that we too are blessed, broken, and given. 
In our day and age, it's really easy for, I think, faith um, communities, churches, and believers to reverse the pattern. And oftentimes, you'll, you'll kind of see the actions of a church or the teachings of the church so focused on the depravity and sinfulness and brokenness of the world that the story seems like you're all messed up, you're all depraved, and luckily, God decided that he might, in his mercy, have mercy on you and save you. But the original story of Scripture does not start with brokenness. In Genesis chapter 1, the story starts with God's original blessing. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. All of, this rea- all of the seen and unseen realities of our world were created by a creator. And that creator, when he created it, made humankind in his own image. And then in verse 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it doesn't say that God looked at it all and said it's broken. He said it's blessed. He blessed them. And then in verse 31, it says, God said this is good. We were originally blessed. In chapter 2, that's where the, in the story, the conflict comes where humanity breaks the relationship, breaks from obedience, and the brokenness enters the world on every level. All that was good and blessed is now broken. Relationships uh, all of a sudden have brokenness. Systems are broken. Nature has brokenness. Everything is changed. And then God begins his restoration um, movement, his, his new... Um, a restoration work in the world to bless and re-bless the world. But it didn't start with brokenness. The, John 3.16 does not say, for God so hated a broken and depraved world that he sent his son. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved Christians, friends who are exploring faith, do not forget that we are originally blessed in the midst of very unoriginal brokenness and sin. Do you know that brokenness is so unoriginal? Like this, the the types of sin and the types of stupidity and mistakes we make are so unoriginal and God has this original blessing in our lives. Like we were made in the image of God. You who sit here, no matter your background, no matter your history, no matter how far you feel you've fallen in life, that you are made in the image of God. His imprint is in you. That you were called for a purpose. You were called um, before you were born. God shaped you and gave you passions and blessings and um, talents and strengths and a heart for this world before you were even born. And part of the process of following Jesus is realizing that you aren't your own maker, that this world isn't just random particles that are temporary that have come together and then they're going to disappear, that you live and then you die and that's it. Jesus teaches us a way that we were created for a purpose before we were born, that we weren't random particles, but that we were purposed people meant for an eternity with God, amen? And reclaiming that. Claiming that original blessing is part of our calling. It's part of our salvation. But we're broken. There's no doubt about that. It does no good to like pretend that everything's... You ever been around somebody who only acknowledges the good and never acknowledges the, the broken, the problems? 
Our society has brokenness riddled throughout it. We've got brokenness in uh, the systems of marriages and we've got in systems of business and in government and even in church and in every system, every organization, there is brokenness. And, and there's brokenness, I think, for me, it shows up so much in relationships. Any of you seen that brokenness um, kind of show its face in relationships? Um, I, I had some, some friends who, they went through a season of real brokenness and it was in their relationships. And um, they, they had a, a moment with their son that really, that, that, that broke things up in their family. Uh, they saw, their son was getting married. They were a little concerned about who they were getting married to and, and they brought it up. And I don't know if it was brought up well or not well or, you know, a lot of times we want to assign blame. Well, brokenness happened. And the, the son said, I, I don't want to hear another thing. In fact, I don't want a thing to do with you. You're not coming to my wedding. You're not going to be part of my life. I don't want you to know my kids. And he shunned his parents, exiled them, banished them from his, from his life. And they came to me and they were super hurt. They were super, this is years ago. And they, they came and they were so damaged and hurt. And they're like, we, we can't believe this has happened. We're so broken. And we can't even come to our son's wedding. But one area of, uh, that they weren't seeing was that this brokenness from their son was a pattern of brokenness in their own life. Do you know um, how their relationships were with their parents? They had shunned their parents. They had, when, hadn't met with their parents for years. They had exiled them, banished them, shunned them. And then the relationships from, with former people that had, they'd had issues with, whether they were right or they were wrong, they shunned them. So all of their relationships looked exactly like their relationship now with their son. And his banishment and his shunning of them just looked like what they had done with everyone else. And at one point I said, do you realize do you see that pattern in your life to his life and until you see it you're going to have a hard time healing it as as uh, things would go on there was a point where they got mad at me for something and um, part of it was that conversation and it was it was hard but do you know what what happened with our relationship I remember seeing them in a, in a grocery store and just being like, hey, what's up, you guys? It's so good to see you. And all of a sudden, the birds at that tree over there became really interesting. And the car over there became so fascinating that they couldn't look at me. I, walked, I, was, I thought I, I couldn't see me. Hey, so good to see you. Like, I haven't seen you guys for a while. Let's, let's talk. And they wouldn't talk to me. I had been shunned. I was exiled. And that pattern of brokenness just sometimes, it breaks up all of our relationships. And we're so blind sometimes to it. Some of us go through brokenness, it's no fault of our own, it's just the world that we live in. And like broken things happen, we go through hurt and we go through pain. Some of you guys might know this about my life and Sarah's life, but um, a few years ago we went through a season of brokenness where our, um, we, we lost our, our 21 week old twins. We went into the doctor, we thought we were just having one little child and as they did the, the sonogram, the, they eventually, the doctor told us, hey, you guys have twins. I'm sorry to tell you, but their hearts have stopped. 21 weeks, and we were, thought everything was fine. We were so looking forward to it. We had friends who were, had the, like almost the same due dates. We were so excited. And we went through a season of just total brokenness. My wife had to go through the physical, emotional, and relational um, 
hardship of that, the pain of that. We went through the pain together. We told family. We told friends. We told our church. And you guys, it was, we have an amazing church. People just supported us through it. But it was so hard. My wife went just through real darkness in that season. And I remember even her saying, man, God, why would you do this to us? We love you. We serve you. We've been, we've been aching for this. We've been praying for this. And then we thought everything was fine. And she'd gone through some other miscarriages. And it was just, it was just a punch to the gut for our lives. And um, I will tell you that God, his blessing was still in and through that brokenness. And my wife had people walk with her. And she went through a, a healing period of time. And we are blessed and broken to be given to the world. And I, I can't believe how my wife can minister now. God uses that hurt and brokenness in her life and in my life. Like I can talk with men and women. My wife can minister to women in ways that, that nobody else here can unless they've been through that. We are blessed and broken so that God can give us to a dying and hurting and hungry world. Amen. Do you see the pattern in your life? Have you been through blessing? Can you recognize the blessings of God? Some of us can't see it. If we can't see it, we don't receive the blessing. We don't acknowledge it. We're not thankful for it. We don't apply it to our lives. If, and, it, and then sometimes we start going through brokenness. We see that and we're like, God, where are you? We can't see the intermingling. And, and sometimes, you know, we go through a season. It's blessing. And God just rains down blessing. Sometimes we're in a season. It's like all brokenness. Have you, and, and, and sometimes that's all we can see. Have you seen the news? What does the news focus on? Like mostly the brokenness in the world. Um, and I was talking with a friend recently who was like, man, I wish I would have a little bit of that blessing season because I've been in a broken season for years. Health, relationally, job-wise, faith-wise. I'm just waiting for that blessing. God, George, when, when's God gonna bring that? Then I talked I talk with another friend recently and they're dealing with major stuff. Whether it's addiction in their family and sickness in their family. And like they're, they're like, for me, it's like, a, it's like a train track. There is always blessing going on. I can see it in my life. But there is also brokenness and they're just running like parallel on the same track of my life. Can anybody relate to that? I want you guys to know in the pattern of our lives, God is bringing us through those things to give us to a broken world. Um, the bread can't be given and multiplied until it's been blessed and broken. And Jesus has this unique take. Um, Jesus teaches that we have blessing and brokenness from God and that we're given, but many Christians will only focus on, oh, we're broken and we're not good. Some Christians will only focus on the good, and Jesus said, no, you have to realize there's a tension in this world. So, and here's the uniqueness of Jesus. Um, some of you might be ex experiencing or, or just starting to experience faith, um, exploring faith, and one thing you have to know about Jesus is that his teachings are uniquely his. Like there's no other philosophical religious teacher that teaches things as, as unique as Jesus. Um, where some religions say, hey, everything's broken. Everything is pain. It's all, all of life is suffering, like in Buddhism. 
And like all of life is about this eightfold path of escaping this to some you know, nirvana state. And I'm not, I'm not differentiating these to put Buddhism down or another religion. I want to clarify the difference of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, they're very different teachings between the philosophies and other religions of the world. Um, in, in other religions, that, like, like Hinduism, um, it, it's uh, you, what you put in is what you get out. So everything's about karma. If you put in blessing, you get blessing. You merit it. You earn it. If you put in uh, brokenness and you do rotten things, like, then you're going to get brokenness and rotten things in your life. And you're going to head downhill in the, in the kind of the karmic uh, um, path. Or you're going to head uphill if you put in good. Um, that's how it works. You put in blessing, you get blessing. You put in brokenness, you get brokenness. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Because that puts you on this, new, you were created neutral in some way and you're on this climbing the ladder or descending down the ladder. Jesus says, all is a gift. Originally, you were blessed. You were given a life. You were given a spark, a will, a creativity, an ability to be aware. You were, the divine was put in your heart and the image of God was put there maybe before you were born. And brokenness is a part of things, but I came to redeem it. And when you turn to God, he gives you Jesus. All of a sudden, everything is a gift. You can't earn it. You're not trying to earn God's blessings by going through brokenness or trying really, really hard to be good. Like, it's all given to you. In fact, part of Christian faith is realizing everything is a gift. It's the unique teachings of Jesus. Here's the other thing I wanted to, to bring up. Um, the disciples, the disciples um, are looking out at the need in the world. And they're seeing, what can we, we can't, we can't handle this. We don't have the capacity for our calling. We can't complete our calling. Have you ever looked out in your life? Maybe you're part of a nonprofit. Maybe you're part of ministry. Maybe you're just a mom or a dad. Maybe you're just a person, you're like, I did, when I look out, I just see all the problems. I see all the issues. I see all the problems with the other leaders. They're not doing enough. They're not talented enough. We can't handle what's in front of us. If you remember, if we're going to live a life of being blessed, broken, and then given, we have to learn to open our eyes to see the blessing and the brokenness. We have to learn to see the intermingling of God's blessing in this so that it can be given, so that it can be multiplied. We have to open our eyes. Look at what Jesus does. If you go back to the passage where Jesus says, bring, bring them here to me. Bring me the, the loaves of fish or the loaves of bread and the two fish. It says in, in, cha- in verse 19, in chapter 14, he told the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish. And then it says, he looked up toward heaven. He looked up not just out, where the disciples were just caught looking out. He looks up to the creator who created all this. He created everything out of nothing. And if we bring what little we have and we put them in the hands of Jesus and we say, God, this is all I have, all of a sudden Jesus reminds us to look up at the reality of God and that God can take the meagerness, the lack of capacity, the lack of resources and begin multiplying it with, a, with an act of faith that says, hear God. What if you and I were to put our, our lives in the hands of God? And to begin looking up rather than looking out and say, God, would you use me? 
Would you bless me? Would you break me so that I can be given to the world and multiply the goodness of your love, multiply the goodness of your truth and your grace to to meet the needs of the crowds? I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. Nobody has the capacity to complete their calling on their own. Only when you put your lives in the hands of God can you begin to complete the calling that God has called you for. Amen? When I just um, got back from Sierra Leone, and when I was there, um, it was an amazing time. We had they, had, they had to cap how many pastors they could, they could bring because of resources, but, but we had th- over 300 of the top leaders in the country being trained together, asking the question, how can we come together for our country? Because Sierra Leone is impoverished. They're one of the most impoverished, impoverished nations in the world let alone Africa. And everywhere you look, there's brokenness. There's poverty. There's hurt. There's pain. They went through a civil war for 11 to 12 years um, where, where, where um, people, friends from uh, the same tribe and, and kids from the same tribe were hacking each other's limbs off. You walk around, you drive around in, this, in Freetown, in their country, you'll see people who have been amputated, legs, people with no legs, one leg, one arm, um, and, and, and the, the amount of damage during that time, and, for, and when they went through Ebola years ago, they, they, just, they, were, they, were, they were just broken. And these pastors have come together across denominations, um, across denominational lines, political lines, tribal lines, and, the, and out of desperation, they're coming together and saying, we, let's work together. We are broken, but there is blessing. And we want to be given to our country. We want to see a nation rise. We want to meet the needs of the way Jesus would. And guys, it, it's incredible. But when the world looks at Sierra Leone, when the world looks at, at the impoverished world, we just see brokenness. We see what the news says. We see all the problems. Um, I, I want to tell you, here's what the world sees when they, most of the world sees when they look at the brokenness in Sierra Leone. Um, and when Christian leaders look at the world in, in Sierra Leone, they see these as well. They see spiritual emptiness. Here's the truth. Billions of people, in, let alone Sierra Leone, but in the impoverished world, billions of people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. 3,000 uh, distinct people groups around the world wouldn't even know the name of Jesus if they heard it. There's, there's, a, there's brokenness, spiritual brokenness. There's corrupt leadership. Um, around the world, there are plenty of people in leadership who abuse their pow- power. Many refuse to use their power for the good of their people. Instead, they choose to use their power for themselves. And I don't think this is just a third world problem. I just think this is a world problem. But in, the, in, in um, vulnerable countries and with vulnerable people, there's, there's the problem of poverty. We, sometimes we look at the world and that's all we see. More than half of the world, that's three billion people, live on less than $2 a day. One-sixth of the world's population lives in slums. There's the problem of pandemic disease. I mean, maybe that's what we see when we look at the world. The pandemic disease in a place like Sierra Leone. Um, billions around the world suffer the effects of famine, drought, and diseases that are completely preventable through clean water, clean food, sanitation. But they don't have that, and they haven't been trained in that. 
There's illiteracy and lack of education that you'd see and you look, man, no one's educated. No one knows what, they, what would help them um, to build their country. Over half the world is still illiterate. How can a country grow and be strong economically when its citizens can't read and write? They don't know the fundamentals of math and science that we take for granted. How many of you guys in, in here can read? Over half the world can't read, do math. How can, they build, how can they build their countries? Like, it's so easy to see that and see that as overwhelming. How do we bring hope to that? Well, here's what I saw in Sierra Leone. When we learn to look up, when we learn to give our lives to Jesus, here's the hope that I see. When I was, I was talking with the leader, his name's Bishop um, Julius Laga. And we were talking about the church and we were talking about our partnership and just being a church that wants to come alongside and serve the church, make the church the hero in Sierra Leone. He said, you know, we want to make sure that we give our gifts as well. And I said, yeah. And we just started talking about the gifts that the Sierra Leone church has to give. And he asked me, he's like, well, what gifts do you see that we have? Because there's so much brokenness. We don't have money. We don't have education. We don't have, we got, we got all these problems. What do you see? And as an outsider, I made a list. Here's five things that I see. Here's five blessings in the brokenness of the Sierra Leone um, church. I see religious charity and liberty. Religious charity. Most, uh, uh, Sierra Leone is the most peaceful nation in Africa, um, especially between Muslims and Christians. They're not fighting each other over religion. And it's, a, it's actually a model of charity and liberty religiously. Number two is forgiveness and reconciliation. I told you about the 12-year war in Sierra Leone, limbs being hacked, people being murdered. Um, you walk around today and there are, there are people who, um, they're in their tribe or in their village, they could be walking on the same street as the person who murdered their parents, hacked off their arms, hurt a loved one, and they serve and work alongside each other. There's been forgiveness and reconciliation that has been catalyzed by the church in Sierra Leone. Where else in, in world history have we seen genocides like we saw in Rwanda, um, civil war like we saw in, in um, Sierra Leone or in um, other parts of Af Africa? Where else in history have we seen a, a, a movement where nations seek peace and reconciliation rather than retribution and revenge? Nationally. Like, we've never seen that in history. And the, the church in Sierra Leone can give our world that is so polarized, that is so, like, fomenting and bubbling up with hatred and, and, and uh, polarity and dis despising and, and, and hating our, our enemies. They have a gift of forgiveness and reconciliation that they can give to our church and to our world. Amen? Other bright spots were the empowerment of women, uh, Sierra Leone is uniquely has some of the, um, has power structures where women are in those power structures. Women are leading, not at the expense of men, and men aren't leading at the expense of women. Both can be leaders. If you're called to leadership, you can lead, and they're leading the way. We were training, like we were actually in a building given as a gift for our training. One of the best buildings we could, we could train in and meet with pastors in was given from a, a female pastor. And she's one of the most amazing pastors in Freetown. Unbelievable. 
There's unity in community. That's another gift. They have unity. They are marked by their togetherness as a church. Um, and, and they're coming together uniquely. And the last thing I would say, and this is a challenge for America, but one of the biggest bright spots is that they have joy and contentment. They have so much less than we do. Many of them live on less than $2 a day and yet have more joy and more contentment in those days than we do. We live in a world where we have the disease of never getting enough. I don't have enough. It's never enough. And they have so much joy and they might not know where their next meal is coming from. They have so much faith that God will provide for them. Friends, they have a gift to give us. I'll finish with this. Um, One of the pastors got up. We talked about what are some of the blessings you see in the brokenness. And this pastor got up and he said, um, he's taking the training we gave from the last time. And he said, here's how we applied it. He's like, we want to bring peace to our nation. He's like, we had two warring tribe leaders in our community. And, um, and they live in a highly Muslim um, uh, community. We had two leaders that were at war with each other. And because of what we're learning about unifying, he's, I went and met with them. And I asked them if I could bring them together. And in their village, in their community, these two leaders decided to forgive one another and reconcile. And the church, the pastors were right in the middle of catalyzing that. Friends, what would happen if you said, God, I'm giving and putting my life in your hands. Bless me, break me, and give me to the world. What would happen to a church that said, God, we're putting our whole church in your hands. Bless us, break us, and send us to the world. Let's pray. Father, um, we're so grateful to be part of this movement so grateful that you've provided this building, so grateful that you've provided everything we have. Lord, I, I just feel like there's, there's some people that have been looking out at the need and they feel like they don't have the capacity to complete their calling. God, would you help them to look up right now, look to you, put their, put their lives in your hands so that you'll bless them. Use the broken parts of their life to be given to the world and multiply, multiply, amplify the gifts and the blessings and the brokenness in in their life. Lord, you never waste a hurt. You never waste a blessing if we put it in your hands. God, may we as a church put everything in your hands so that you can change the world around us. Amen.